John chapter 17, and we'll be focusing on verse 3. We're continuing in the high priestly prayer of Christ, also known as the prayer of intercession, also known as the great intercessory prayer. The difference is determined by which theologian you're reading at the time. John chapter 17, verse 3. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ says, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Jesus is in the upper room. It's Passover. He just instituted the Lord's Supper. He just explained to us what the unleavened bread stands for, what the grape juice stands for, and he explained to the disciples that the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, communion as we call it today, is about remembering what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. He prepared his disciples for his arrest and his crucifixion, and after the conversation he had with his disciples from John chapter 13 all the way through John chapter 16 he lifts up his eyes to heaven and prays this prayer to God he prayed for his disciples and by praying for his disciples he prayed for us too because Jesus in this prayer says that I'm not praying just for these but all of those who will believe through their testimony and through their words so he prayed for us as well he prayed for our unity and he prayed for our sanctification. Now, that's a $64,000 word for you right there. That just means that he prayed for us to be set apart for his purpose. In verse 3, our passage today, after praising the Father for giving him all power on earth, and we talked about his authority last week, he praised his Father for giving him the authority so that he could give us eternal life. At the end of verse 2, he says that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him, and then in verse 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. He is praising God for giving us eternal life. Amen. What is eternal life? What is life? That's the title of our message today, what is life? What is eternal life? Is eternal life merely the eternal existence of ourselves, of our souls, of our spirits? Or is there something more to it? Is life just what we experience in the day-to-day -day here? Or is there more to life than what we experience in the day-to-day? -day? If you go to that job where you do the same thing day in, day out, is that life? I saw a cartoon one time. Pixar used to come out with some pretty cool children's movies. And they always had these little animated shorts that would play before the, the main feature. And one of them had this man going to work. And the brain was trying to get the man to go to work where he'd push the same button on the same computer over and over and over again. But his heart was trying to pull him to the beach where he could have fun. You know, in, in which of those scenarios, where do you think life is? Is life on the beach or is life in that cubicle? And if you're worried about paying the bills, you might find life in the cubicle. If you're worried about enjoying life, you may find life on the beach. I remember being at my mom's house up in the metroplex and we had gone somewhere because we were always going somewhere and I remember being in this parking lot and across the freeway from this parking lot was Arlington Stadium and the Rangers were playing somebody and that stadium was lit up and there was a crowd there and they were cheering and I could hear the, the cheers inside that stadium was life I'm out here in this dark parking lot what is life let's get to the bottom of that this morning in verse 3 we're going to learn 
what eternal life is or what life eternal is. We're also going to learn that eternal life comes by knowing God, and we're going to see what it means to know God. And we're also going to learn that apart from the Lord, there is no life because the Lord is the source of life. Is life devoid of any meaning? Is it devoid of any joy? Are you not enjoying life right now? If so, it might be because you're not in the Lord's presence, because that's where life is. So let's look at this concept. What is life? What is life? What is eternal life? If you study the meaning of the word life in your biology textbook, your biology textbook will tell you that life is the condition that distinguishes animals from plants from inorganic matter, including the capacity for growth, reproduction, functional activity, and continual change preceding death. All right, kids, write that down. You'll pass your exam if you memorize that definition. I mean, and you look at what biology defines as life. Did you know that a sponge is an animal? It's classified as an animal. What's that about? The sponge doesn't have feelings? Maybe later, John. We'll never get out of here if I let you explain the sponges to me. Love you, buddy, but you talk more than I do. Uh, anyway, does a sponge have feelings? Does a sponge mate? Does a sponge hunt? What's the purpose of a sponge? Why is it an animal? But it's life. According to biology, it's life. But to believe in that, you have to believe that life is merely biological. And is it? Or is there more to life than just the biological presence of life? Have you ever seen someone who has been incapacitated and you wonder, what kind of life is that? Have you ever looked at your own life and felt like you weren't accomplishing what you wanted to accomplish in life and wondered, what kind of life is this? Back in the 90s, we used to tell each other, get a life. If someone was in your business, they must not be enjoying their life, so you tell them, get a life. What is life? Let's look at this from a biblical perspective. Thayer's Bible Dictionary tells us that life is the state of one who is possessed of vitality or is animate. Life is, being, is having vitality, ability, power, strength, life within oneself, and being animate. That means that you are aware of what's going on around you, that you have a personality, that you have a point of view, and that you have a set of values, beliefs, that you can think, that you can reason, maybe not too well, but you can think, you can reason, maybe you're a genius, but you're animate. Thayer's goes on to say that life real and genuine, a life active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed in the portion even in this world of those who put their trust in Christ, but after the resurrection to be consummated by the new accessions, there's another $64,000 word for you, among them a more perfect body and to last forever. Did y'all catch all that? Somebody repeat that back. I'm, I'm kidding. Let, let, let me boil this down to you. Scripturally, life is having the Spirit of God within you, and having the consciousness that goes along with having the Spirit of God within you. And if you have the Spirit of God within you and you are dwelling in the Lord's presence and you have that 
you have that connection with God, you have that consciousness, you have that, uh, that what does it say, the, um, the animate, you're animated, that to have that being sentient, as, as we would say, having that awareness. One who is alive is animate, is conscious, is, sen- is sentient. One who is truly alive has an active life, a vigorous life, and is devoted to and blessed by God. That's what life is. That's what living is. Living is not merely breathing. Living is not merely existing. Living is having a purpose. Living is having a soul. Living is having a mission. Living is having dreams. Living is having an understanding that there is more to life than what's going on right now. Now, maybe you work on an assembly line, and I did that work for a while. Okay, I did that work for one day. They didn't hire me back the next day. I don't know why. I worked one day at, through a temp agency for an air conditioning manufacturer, and my job was to rivet the, the aluminum panels on the side of these air conditioning coils. I didn't even know how to use a riveting gun. The supervisor had to show me. It, it turned out to be quite easy. But for 14 hours, I did this. I did this for 14 hours. I've got another guy at the same table. We're doing the same thing, right? What do we do? We start racing. We each have a pallet. We want to see who could clear their pallet the first. You know what happened after seven or eight hours? We cleared our pallets. You know what we did? We went and found more pallets. Round two, buddy. It's on. All right? Your life may be in a manufacturing plant. It may be on the assembly line. It may be doing the same thing day in and day out. But what makes it a life is not that you're existing doing that. What makes it a life is that you find a greater purpose in, in your being here. You're not just a cog in the machine. You have heard preachers preach about the abundant life. There are even churches named abundant life. What is that abundant life? It's that blessed life, that life in the Father's presence that brings the blessings, that brings the blessings of living, that gives you that greater purpose, that greater meaning in life. And though this life is blessed in this world, the true blessings come in the resurrection. And for the believer, that life never ends. Therefore, it's life eternal. I'm not always enjoying life. Sometimes my daily work is less than joyful. Sometimes we get bored. Sometimes we're facing problems. Sometimes we're emotional. Sometimes in my family we have a saying, you're having big feelings today. You ever have a day where you're just kind of losing your mind and you're reacting emotionally and you're yelling and you're throwing things you're, you're angry, you're sad, you're crying, whatever it is, big feelings today, okay? We're having big feelings today. And that's the way it goes some days. But if you're alive, if you have life, you know that that's not the be-all, end-all. That's not the be-all, end-all. I'm blessed in that I know my Savior. I know my God. I know the one who has given me life. I know the purpose that he has given me. I know the mission that he has given me in this world, and I've got a family. And that family, we love each other. Even when we're having big feelings, we love each other. Even when we're not acting particularly affectionate toward one another, we love each other. And the great thing about this eternal life is I know that when the life on this planet is over for me, that in the next world, that life continues. That I don't suddenly not know Jessica because I crossed over into heaven. That my kids will suddenly not know me because we crossed over into heaven. That when we cross over into heaven, when we get to the other side, we, we call it crossing over Jordan. 
uh, we're about to study that in the book of Joshua. But when we cross over to the other side, we're still going to know each other. We're going to know each other better than we knew each other here. We're going to have this loving fellowship between each other that is far stronger than anything we had here. Our life is eternal. That's eternal life. Life is not merely existing and having biological processes. Life is that consciousness that God gives you, that makes you think, that makes you imagine, that makes you dream, that makes you create that makes you desire, that gives you the sense of right and wrong. God said in Genesis chapter 1, he said, let's make man in our own image. He wasn't saying let's make man to have two arms like we have and two legs like we have and ten fingers like we have. What he was saying was let's make man to have our nature, our consciousness, our sentience, our, uh, our ability to see, to observe, to think, to act, to create our propensity to cultivate, to build. That's the image that God created us in. He gave us his life. And that life is eternal, if you know him. Now we cross over to the next world, they're not just going to put us in these little togas, hand us a harp, and tell us to sit on this cloud for the next 10,000 years. We're still going to have a life there as well. And it's going to be blessed. That's life. That's life. Life is a beautiful thing. And sometimes life is a heartbreaking thing. Sometimes life will, will overwhelm you. But it's still a beautiful thing. And for the believer, it goes on forever. Life comes from knowing God. Jesus says, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Jesus said that they might know thee. This is life eternal, that they might know thee. This word knowing, to know, it means to move beyond academic knowledge. It is more than just knowing that God exists. We all know who God is, don't we? Who is God? He's the creator of all things. He is the source of life. He's the one who gave us life. But it's more than simply knowing that. It's more than simply knowing that God exists. Knowing God is more than knowing that Christ died for the sins of the world. You can go to anybody and ask them, what did Jesus do? And they'll say, well, he died on the cross for our sins. But does that mean anybody's going to go to heaven that will say that? You can know that, you can know that intellectually that Jesus died for the sins of the world and you can still die and go to hell because you do not know him on a personal level. Amen. And it's more than knowing that Christ died for my sins. And it's more than knowing that Christ died for your sins. It's more than an intellectual knowledge of that. The Bible says in the book of James, do you believe you do well, even devils fear and tremble. To know, the word that to know is translated from carries two connotations. One, it is to understand by experience. You may know how it feels because you've been there. I saw something on Facebook this week. It said, until you have become a parent, until you have been married, until you have lost a loved one, until you have buried a parent, until you have gone bankrupt, until you have been fired, you don't know what it's like. And you're not an expert on the subject. And isn't there some truth to that? I mean... We may know intellectually what's going on when a, when a loved one dies or when something happens in our lives, but when we experience it, 
that takes the knowledge to a whole other level, doesn't it? Does it not? I'm not saying that you can't speak comfort in the lives of somebody that's had this happen. If you've never had it happen to you, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when you experience it, it brings a whole other level of understanding. The word know means to understand by experience. And the word know also means to know by way of a close relationship. In essence, this is moving beyond knowing that God exists. This is moving beyond knowing the story of Jesus. This is moving beyond knowing the story of the cross. And this is experiencing it and believing it and trusting it. Jesus said, this is life eternal, to know the true God. By having a close relationship with God and by abiding in his presence and glory, you will experience life abundantly. And you will experience that life in this life and you will experience that life in his kingdom. You will have the eternal perspective to see the events of this life for what they are and that perspective will give you hope. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 5 that we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh experience and experience patience and patience hope. And hope makes us not ashamed because the love of God is spread abroad, abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given unto us. We have an eternal perspective on things. I'm raising a family. There's an eternal perspective on this. My kids have an eternal destiny, an eternal destination. It is my job to disciple them to where they see that eternal destination, they trust the Lord for it, they trust Him as their Savior, and they grow in His knowledge, His experience, His grace, and they become the mighty men and women of God that He intended on them being. And that means that I'm going to have some heartbreaking moments. That means that I'm going to see some things that I think they should live up to that they don't quite live up to, and it's going to drive me crazy. It means that at some point, they're going to have to leave my house. And that bothers me. It does. I want to see them leave my house, but not for the reasons you think. It's not so the house can get quieter. It's not so I can watch what I want to watch on television. I want to see them leave the house because that's what healthy, happy children who are following God's will for their life, that's what they do. The Bible says that uh, Adam took Eve, his wife, and therefore shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. For my sons, to fulfill God's plan in their life, they're going to have to leave me and Jessica. They're going to have to move out of the house. And, you know, Jessica would like for them to move next door. And, and we've actually thought about, can we buy the house next door so the kids can just live there? We'll just buy the whole block. And this, we'll just portion this off, and this will be Ackerville. We'll secede from the city of Early, have our own little zip code. It'll be a good little thing. But that's probably not what's going to happen. I mean, God's already taken Rachel around the world. I was not happy that she was changing flights in Qatar. I'm not going to lie about that. We were getting ready to go to war with North Korea when she changed flights in South Korea. I'm just like, oh, Mr. Trump, let's just delay that bomb for three more hours. Can we? Just three hours is all I'm asking for. But that's what our kids do. That's what they're called to do. And maybe they do move next door and raise a family next door, and that's okay. But they move out of the house because that's what God wants. He wants them to follow his will for their lives, not my will for their lives. And so I have this eternal perspective, and it's a beautiful thing to watch the kids grow. That perspective gives you hope. It gives you a confident expectation. When we lay somebody to rest that was close to us, when we're grieving, when we've experienced that loss, we know that this life was never what it was about to begin with. That what we've been building up to is the next life. 
And our loved one who has passed on has gone on to the next life. And we're going to join them there. And it's not going to be long. It's not going to be long. You will find yourself at the end of this life long before you're ready for it. I don't care what age you are, Brother Leland. I'm 95 years old. You got to the age of 95 a lot quicker than you anticipated getting to the age of 95. I got to 45. Yeah, that's this year. I got to 44 a lot quicker than I anticipated getting to 44. My kids grew up and got jobs long before. I mean, I knew the day was coming. I knew that they were of the age. But I'm at home. I'm like, hey, I've got a day off. Let's hang out and play with the kids. And they're all going to work. What happened? It happens a lot quicker than you imagine. But that's what it's all about. You wouldn't bring your loved one back in the condition they were in, sick and hurting and suffering. You wouldn't do that to them. It's, re it's better for us to go to them. That's why King David said, I shall go to him, but he shall not return unto me. That's hope. That's confident expectation. And that hope will make you never ashamed, never disappointed because you're a child of the king. What is life? What makes life good? How do you experience that life? You experience it by knowing and trusting God. I'm, I'm, I'm horrible. I don't cry at funerals. I don't cry at funerals. I'll, I'll, I'll wait a couple of years and I'll cry. Um, you know, sign the deed on my grandfather's property. It's, it, it's hers now. Not hers, but somebody else's. Then I remember, oh yeah. But I'm there looking at what used to be my loved one, but my loved one's not there anymore. They're with the Father. Now I'm just looking forward to the day that I get to go to. This knowledge, this belief, this trust, it comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And Jesus also said, he who honors not the Son honors not the Father. So your relationship with God is connected through Jesus Christ. And without Christ... There is no life. Amen. Because Christ is the source of life. If I'm not going to have any light bulbs in this building, I don't need to be complaining that there's no light in this building. Because the light bulbs are the source of light. Jesus is the source of life. The Bible tells us in John 1, 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In Jesus was life. It's the same word that we've been studying this morning. The same Greek word. This is life abundantly. This is the animated life. This is the ascension life. This is the life that has that consciousness, that divine understanding, that divine perspective on things. In Jesus was that life, and that life is the light of men. What lit us up? What illuminated us? What opens our eyes? What gives us control over the rest of the world that God puts us in charge of his creation to subdue it, to cultivate it, to manage it. What is it? It's a life that he has given. Jesus is the source of life. And therefore, there is no life without him. Without Christ, there are no higher purposes. There are no higher aspirations. Without Christ, there is no hope. Without Christ, I don't have the hope of seeing my loved ones again. Without Christ, there is no fulfillment. Without Christ, my kids leave the nest going off to who knows what, and I may never see them again, and, and, and that becomes another loss to me. Without, without Christ, without life, everything that gets taken from you is a loss, and it is never recovered. That's not life. 
There's no fulfillment. There's no fullness. If there's no light in your life, if there's no fulfillment in your life, if there is no purpose in your life, it could be because you've been looking for that purpose, you've been looking for that fulfillment, you've been looking for that life in all the wrong places. That life can only be found in Jesus Christ. Amen. I had an interesting discussion with Pastor Kelly from New, New Beginnings Church yesterday. We were at a funeral together. We were helping a family mourn who had just lost their mother. And a couple of days ago, I posted on the internet about how churches have lost their voice because they've lost the gospel. You know, church attendance is declining in America. There's only one segment where church attendance is increasing in America, and that's among non-denominational churches. But even the gain among non-denominational churches is not enough to offset the losses by the denominational churches. Fewer Americans as a percentage are Christian. There's not a single county in North America that has more church people today than there were 10 years ago. North America, not a single county. None. Christianity in the Western world is in decline. Fewer believers. Fewer adherents to the faith. Fewer attenders to church. Brother Justin Gatlin, pastor of one of our sister churches in Alvin, Texas, posted some sobering statistics. In 2001, there were 860 churches that were represented at the American Baptist Association annual meeting. Last year, there were 600. In 2001, there were 2,100 messengers who attended, the, well, 2,100 people who attended the American Baptist Association annual meeting. Last year, there was barely 1,000, a 50% reduction. We had a church close its doors yesterday by vote of the membership of the church. And it's not just the American Baptist Association. I talked to my friends in the Southern Baptist Convention. They're seeing the same thing. Well, that's because it's Southern Baptist. They've got churches everywhere. They've got too many. They're, they're consolidating. Then you go to the Presbyterians, same thing. The Lutherans, same thing. The Methodists, same thing. It's all in decline. What's going on? Well, people just aren't, you know, it's just... No. Go overseas. Pastor Kelly was telling me about a man in Pakistan that he had ministered to who was on the run for his life because they were trying to kill him because he professed Christ as his Savior. He went home and told his father that he had become a Christian. His father was going to perform an honor killing. He ran, and there's a bounty on his head, an honor bounty, to restore the honor of his family because he accepted Christ as his Savior. In Thailand, if youth accept the Lord as their Savior and they profess Christ, then they dishonor their parents because they're supposed to become Buddhist monks from the time they're 18 to the time they're 20. Now, the Thai, they don't kill their kids for doing that, but it's a broken relationship with the family, and that's a lot of pressure. You go to Africa where they're nailing Christians to the street and then running them over with steamrollers while they sing Amazing Grace. In China, they've stepped up persecution against Christianity, yet people are professing Christ as their Savior in droves. Yet in America... We have a church on every corner, and they're empty, and we're closing them, and we're turning them into office buildings, into high square footage homes. We're turning them into recreation centers. Sometimes we're just letting them fall down. 
why is the church in the East rapidly expanding among rampant persecution and the church in the West, which has been blessed financially, materially, in freedom, and in some cases, support from the government, and it's a decline. Why is that? And it's what I said in my writing, and Pastor Kelly agreed. It's because the church in the East has found a gospel that they are willing to die for. And in America, in the Western world, so I'm including Europe in that, I don't think they know what the gospel is, let alone would they die for it. We've forgotten the source of life. Those Christians in China that are being branded as third-class citizens and they can't even get on a train to ride to the next town to go shopping for clothes, they find life. They find fulfillment. They find abundance in that life because they know the Lord that gave them that life. Those Christians in Africa that are being slaughtered for their faith, they're still finding life in ways that you and I cannot imagine because they know the source of that life. This morning for us, we have to ask ourselves, do we have a life? Are we experiencing life? And do we truly know the source of that life? I'm not shaming you because you're not suffering for the gospel. I'm not telling you that we need to be persecuted. What I'm telling you is that we need to be recentered on what we believe. And then and only then will we see a revival in our own hearts. And only if we see that revival in our own hearts will we see that revival spill over into our communities and in our friend groups. Jesus said, This is life eternal, that they may know thee, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou sent. Do you know God? Do you trust him? Do you believe him? Are you following him? Let us stand.